0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Genius Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Shelby Jo Long, your host. I have the opportunity to introduce you to individuals that have created a business out of their passion and their genius to serve the world in the way that best serves them. So we have many interviews so we can explore this and inspire you to think about your genius in a different way. Today, we have the opportunity to talk and learn from Maury David. Maury and I know each other in a few spaces. We shared the TEDx stage about a couple of months ago. We're in the Bellwether Business Networking Group, which is awesome. And I'm excited to learn a little bit more about what he has going on. So Maury, welcome to the podcast.
1: Well, thank you so much, Shelby. It's it's just an honor to be on the stage with you. And it was an honor to be on the stage at TEDx with you. You know, we're looking forward for your speech to be released. I'm so excited for you. You know, all these smiling faces. We have a tremendous amount of people that were at TEDx as part of our organization. And it it, it was a wonderful event. And I think we all had a lot of fun. And I know you did because you were smiling the whole time.
0: (laughs) I did. I had a great time. So many fun ideas. So many amazing thoughts being put forward and so much original thought it was so fun it was that was my i was it was a, such a great event i enjoyed it very much i look you
1: forward know, to- and i look forward to seeing you again at the event and i know we will and we you know will. it's just it's wonderful to be on your show and and well, you know i i feel kind of honored when you said you know genius I don't really think of myself as a genius, but I am somewhat of an entrepreneur and it's been a long journey and and a happy one. Um,
0: Which is is why we why we tell the story so we can let people know that, hey, there's going to be challenges along the way, but you can actually do this. So it's fun to be able to share those stories. So Maury, give us a give us a. Yeah, bird's eye view of what your business is all about or your multiple businesses. Tell us what you got going on.
1: Well, you know, I am at that point in my life where I've had many successful businesses starting at age 16 years old, believe it or not. And that was part of my TEDx speech and part of one of the books that I, I just have with my publisher called Why Some People Can Fly. And the people that can fly are people like you and many others in our organization who are entrepreneurs that learned how to elevate their lives to the next level. And many times we're kind of looked at as being oddballs. You know, people look at us as saying, well, what the heck are they doing and why? And and that's what makes an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur uh, looks at the world differently and says, I bet if I did this, it would work. And many let me shut off my phone. I'm so sorry. Okay. <laughs> but many people, when they uh, when they look at the world, they say, okay, well, what makes me comfortable? And I'm just going to settle in on this. Whereas an entrepreneur looks at the world and says, hmm, this is a challenge. Do I want to take the challenge? And and many entrepreneurs are actually uh, they, they're fearless. You know, they understand that there may be consequences, but they're ready for the consequences. It's like, if we don't take a chance, then how do we know? If we don't try, how do we know? We can't, in our minds, just think, well, if I try that, I'll fail. Well, why would you want to think on that negative level when you can say, if I try this, it can work? And many people, for one reason or another, maybe phobias or fears or whatever, they prevent themselves from going to the next level. So I've been fearless since I've been 16 years old. I I was a piano teacher because I thought I had a better way of teaching piano and actually it worked. Instead of playing scales, instead of doing certain finger techniques, I decided to say, well, all those scales and everything about that is in the songs. So instead of teaching the scales, Why don't I teach the songs? At least then the person is playing and they're getting satisfaction out of it. And they don't realize they're playing the scales anyway. They're just in the shape of the song. So I went out as a reward saying, look at all the benefits that you have here. Not like keep on doing this and one day you'll be good. I Forget that. What do you want to do? Let's do it. And I always try to set up a win-win-win situation. And, uh, you know, I I was a piano teacher. I had a music school where teachers were working for me. And this is at 16. I I had a recording studio at one time. um, I worked with people like Stevie Wonder. And I did that at 21. And the odd thing is, so Stevie was 21 as well. So we were just kids playing around. That's, yeah. But it was...
0: I didn't know that you had that music in your background.
1: Yeah, so- that was part of it. And and then I went from music into doing the discotheques in my age kind of showing now we don't call them discotheques, they're clubs or whatever. But back then, uh, it's most of <laughs> yeah, it's coming back. But back then, the owners of these clubs, they didn't know anything about sounds. So they would contact their electrician and say, listen, I wanna have music here. And the electrician would put up what he thought were PA, PA speak, public address speakers. These were speakers they use at big events, but they didn't work in clubs. So what was happening is the sound was terrible. I came from the music industry of the recording industry where music had to be precise and had to sound wonderful. So when I did the design discotheques, it was using recording studio equipment. Well, that was the sound that when you walked in, it went through you and and the people felt the music in their body and it wasn't tinny. You know, it was just pure sound. It may have been too loud, but that's the way they wanted it half the time. But that same changed the dynamics of discotheques. And from then I went into the field of security because I recognized that that was going to be a big field and, and I became uh, a, an alarm distributor. And I, I, I was a very large distributor and I realized that manufacturers didn't really know what they were doing. They were making equipment for uh, commercial applications, uh, big motion detectors that they would put in a, in a warehouse. But when it came to home security, they said, well, here's our motion detectors. Well, imagine a woman putting something that looks like a roll of toilet paper on her living room wall it may be okay in a warehouse, but it had to be redesigned to look good in a living room. Well, these engineers, they weren't living room designers. They were engineers. So because I was looking at, well, wait a minute, you know, how, how do I get this function to look pretty? And I redesigned much of the equipment in the alarm industry so it matched the decor of homes. To me, this was a natural thing to do. But to them, it was like, what? What are you talking about? So, right. you know, that. and to me, it's like, well, it's just not hard. You know, all you have to do is scale it down. And and they just didn't understand what I was talking about. So I just did it. And, you know, what had happened is I I, I owned many companies and I started looking when I had children. I started saying to myself, I don't want to be one of those dads who is too busy to watch his son play baseball, who's too busy to watch his daughter do a dance class or, or a dance recital. And, and I said to myself, I'm only gonna get an opportunity once to be with my children. If I am too busy in my business, I those memories of them wa- having their father there and me watching them, they're gonna be gone. So I looked at businesses and I said, well, what can we do to free up time? And I would make sure that I was at my son's baseball game or hockey game and my daughter's game. And I realized that whatever hours I stole from my business, it didn't seem to matter. Right. The businesses still ran. I still made money. But I was with my children. I was a father, not a working father. I was a father working with, with their mother. With my wonderful wife, she wasn't alone taking these kids to practice. You you know what it is as a mother. This is very hard to do. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. You, you need help. So I I managed to time compress. And I realized that 60 hours a week can be compressed to 20 hours without much of a change. It could be compressed to 10 hours. And when I started compressing time, again, my mind said, well, what are you going to do with this extra time? And I and I started looking at legacy projects. You know, when you get older, you start realizing that nobody. If you pass away, all right, the person in the eulogy is not going to say, you know, he owns three wonderful cars, okay, and you know he had ten suits. Who cares? They always try to talk about how you affected other people, how you made a difference in the world. So I started looking at myself and saying, I, I want to make a difference in the world. And, and the first thing I did was started writing for children. And it was a long, a long ordeal because when I started writing, the publishing industry was different than it is today. There was no Amazon, there was no self-publishing. You had to get a publisher and quite honestly publishers were inundated by all these submissions and they sent everything back and i had 600 rejections and i had 200 rejections by ages 800 rejections not because my writing was bad they never even read one word so i I kind of put it aside and i restarted it about eight years ago and really what had happened is i contacted four publishers on the internet And within two weeks, two of them said, can we read your whole manuscript? And I had written 25 of them, so certainly I gave them one. And two weeks later, they offered me contracts. And when my first book came out, uh, it became a bestseller in three hours. And when my second book came out, it became a bestseller the second it was released. And when my third book came out, which we really stalled it, it's still sitting there. Why? Why? because my third book is now being made into a major motion picture. Of which, again, Mr. Fearless is now the producer of a movie, which I find totally off the wall because I I don't have the qualifications of being a producer, but I managed to get a team to help me. And they assured me that my role as a producer has nothing to do with the inner workings of the movie. My role is to take my dream and to show them what I want to do with it, with, with the dream and let them do it. And I have some wonderful people working with me. I'm so blessed. And, you know, the book will be released about six months before the movie. The movie will be called, is called Cosmo. And it's, it's, it's not even a book or a movie anymore. Uh, we've moved it to something beyond what Hollywood has ever done. Um, That's what amazing. Yeah. What we're doing is the, the book is like a modern day version of ET um, and uh, ET or an alien w- accidentally winds up in, inside a golden retriever puppy and he's 65 million years more advanced than than us and he really had plans on helping the world but being stuck in a golden retriever puppy was very challenging for this alien entity and he had to figure out how to learn to communicate by being a dog and he had to struggle with all the things that he wanted to do and of course you fall in love with the dog you fall in love with the alien um the government finds out about this dog they want it And you know, it has all the things that make a movie watcher love. But what makes it interesting is there's no violence. There's no sexual situations. We're not blowing up anything. We're not killing anybody. So here you can be any age and watch this movie and walk away saying, I love that movie. Yet it didn't have anything that normal movies have today. It would be considered a true G-rated movie that we don't see anymore, you know, and, and our purpose of this movie is the alien is using the movie to show where he came from, how he wound up in the dog, what his struggles were. And now, after the movie, he wants to get into the lives of all the children around the world and explain to them how fragile this world really is that this world does have problems that unfortunately we kind of ignore we continue to pollute the air hoping that it's not it's not going to kill us we pollute the oceans we dump chemicals in the oceans we kill off animals we you know look at there's like no buffalo left there's an example of the spot you know all the different things that were were in abundance we got rid of well, maybe right now we're only seeing some little problems like the weather around the world. But imagine if these problems continue for another 30 years. What would this world be? So the purpose of Cosmo is to show the children, open their eyes and say, this is going to be your world in 30 years. Okay. Let's find out how you want to fix it. Let's. Let's let your imagination take over. Let's cu- let you talk to other children around the world and work with them with projects. Perhaps by working with other children, maybe we can eliminate wars in the future because now the cultures of other people around the world will be understood. Maybe we won't hate one another because we don't understand one another. Children will work with other children and, they, and they'll learn that they can talk things out they may be the future political people you know and maybe they can learn about nutrition so we don't have the medical problems that many of the elderly have today so it's it's a long project but we're hoping that maybe this at least will do something if yeah. you know we're, we're not going to deck our heads in the sand we got to try so that's that's where i, I think I am if,
0: I, if i could just to talk about there's so many like important tidbits that i think for entrepreneurs to listen to uh first of all like entrepreneurship's in your blood right you <laughs> yeah. like to solve problems you like to influence you want to make an impact you want to start movements like that's that's part of who you are but even just like the little things like I, I think back to your your story when you started in like when you were in the when you were designing the uh, security system for the home like What's key for me about that is that that's all about your audience and thinking about what, how can I solve a problem for my audience? Mm -hmm. And, you know, this, we have this solution, but how can we make it fit with their home? You know, and I, I love, I love the creativity and the innovation that came from that and how that innovation is what helped you solve that problem. But similarly, in this story with this book that you're putting out and this this movie that you're putting together, you're, you're doing the same thing. You're identifying these problems and you're trying to create this gap and educate and also be a part of that conversation and create a movement about it. It's the same thing. You're solving a problem in a creative way. So it's just, I think that's fundamentally for entrepreneurs, that's what it comes down to is like. Your genius is how you solve problems and you use your genius to solve problems for other people. And I think that's an important lesson to think about. So, Well,
1: you know what I've learned in my life is uh, most of the things that I've done, of course, I've had people working for me, but I was always the leader. And, and I thought that no one can do things as good as me. And that is, is a danger for entrepreneurs. Because they, they only have so much time. They only have so much effort before they burn out. And what you have to learn is to guide people, understand how, how to pick the right people and, and have them do it. We, we have in, in our organization one of our little, uh, we, we call them laws, but they're really great advice. And one of them is we call the law of the architect. In fact, that's the first one. And yep. that really and, hit me hard. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: and and what that means is imagine if you're going to build a building. Now, you know what you want your building to look like. It's going to be 80 stories. It's going to be great. Now. How are you gonna build this building? Are you gonna learn physically all the trades? Are you gonna become a carpenter, electrician, a plumber, an HVA guy? Are you gonna be working on steel girders? Because if that's your plan, you'll never build that building because you'll never have the time to gain all the experience of doing those trades properly. So the law of the architect basically says, Forget you being doing it. Your job is to find the people that can do it and make sure they're doing it the way that you want it done. And you have to let them do it, (laughs) you know, and many entrepreneurs.
0: That allows you to stay in your zone of genius and your highest level of creativity. Just what you did when you're at the security company. Just what you did when you're making music. You know, you're staying in your zone of genius, and that's what allows you to excel at what you. But, do. but this and is now a key. You're making a movie.
1: <laughs> that's key to an entrepreneur. They have to learn to shift their thinking of: Can you do it yourself? Yes, but what is it that you should be doing? you should be finding the people that are experts in the field and guiding them you shouldn't jump in and do it yourself there is no way that i have the experience of making a movie there's no way and in fact i when they said that i was a producer i i i said no 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 you don't understand i don't have the qualifications of a producer and they explained to me well it depends on the producer If your job is to make sure everything is running smoothly, like Walt Disney did, he didn't know how to build theme parks. He was an artist, but he found people that got his message and they built, they brought his artistry to life. He didn't know how to make animatronics. He didn't know any of this stuff, but he found his team of people. And even after he died, his people believe so much in him that they continue doing what they feel was Walt's idea. That truly was an architect. He learned to, to, to turn over. He can do the drawings. There's no question, but he had other people doing drawings. He couldn't possibly draw everything and he couldn't build Ferris wheels and he couldn't build, you know, all the things that had to do in the theme park, but he could inspire. So as you get older and you are an entrepreneur, you have to shift your thinking into inspiring others to follow what your dream is. That is a key.
0: Absolutely. That's a, so more you've worked work. work I'm assuming you've worked with multiple entrepreneurs and being an entrepreneur yourself, what do you what do you think is the biggest what's the biggest fear you usually run into with entrepreneurs and what's their the fear that's holding them back from doing that
1: well we all have fears and and part of my ted talks i actually used balloons and talked about fears but most fears are perceived they're not real so when a person says i don't want to do this because i'm afraid of failing Well, first of all, let's take a look at that word failure. What does that really mean? Uh, An example would be Thomas Edison. When he was making light bulbs, he had to go through different processes to finally find the proper filament to make a light bulb that worked. From a reporter who interviewed him, a reporter's point was, how did you deal with all your failures? Edison was confused. And he said, what are you talking about? And he says, well, you, you had a thousand failures. And Edison said, I didn't fail at all. All those were attempts to show me what would or wouldn't work until I found the right thing. From your perspective, it was a failure. From my perspective, it was a learning experience. So this is the problem with some entrepreneurs is they start thinking of, oh, my God, this is going to crash and burn. What am I going to do? Well, You know what? You have to try to say to yourself, instead of thinking what can't work, why don't you think about what will work? And it's amazing that if you surround yourself with positive thinking people that constantly say, this is going to work, this is going to work, then it works. You have to pull yourself away from the naysayers. There's there's a million naysayers to to 100 positive people. There's 100,000 people that are telling you we can't do it. You have to take yourself away from those people. You have to surround yourself with like-minded people, and, and you have to believe it's possible. And you know what? When you believe it's possible, it becomes possible. It actually Absolutely. comes through.
0: I feel I feel like the constant theme I hear and around this because this is a consistent theme with entrepreneurs that perfectionism is almost the enemy of entrepreneurship yeah. right because if you're a perfectionist, and everything needs to be perfect or you're not going to launch until it's perfect or well any of that I think it, it's so not that being a perfectionist is a bad thing, but I think it's it's challenging because you've got to get your idea into the marketplace. you've got to test it. Sometimes it's a perfect idea, but it might not work. And so you have to be able to be, it's not a failure. It's an opportunity to pivot and match something in the marketplace. But it takes some, takes a little moxie to be able to do that. So
1: well, because you know, many times people don't know how to monetize their ideas. Right. And That's and the, this was the problem with Nikolai Tesla. This man was a genius, but he couldn't talk to a level to get investors to invest in him. He scared them. His genius was so far ahead of them that they couldn't imagine how they were gonna make money from it. And he was not interested in making money. He was interested in proving that this concept would work. Money was the last thing. Well, how do you talk to an investor and say, I'm not interested in making money? So the investor goes, well, why am I talking to you? So entrepreneurs actually need help in those areas. They also need help like salesmen, a salesman, let's say, is selling, you know, a widget, whatever that might be. And he makes an appointment with a new uh, a new person, perhaps the president of the company or vice president of sales or whatever. And he walks into the office and he starts talking about the widget mm-hmm. Well, to be perfectly frank, the buyer of that company probably knows more about the widget than the salesman knows because the buyer's been doing it for 25 years and the widget than the salesman maybe was just hired two years ago. So here he's coming in talking about widgets and it's very boring to the buyer because the buyer's like, so what? The salesman doesn't understand that you have to sell yourself. The widget is only part of the equation. The first thing you have to do is build a relationship. You have to basically find some common ground where that buyer likes you. Maybe you start talking about, you know, do you have a kid playing baseball? You start talking about, do you you like boats? You just fish around until you find out what that person likes. You may be looking at the person's desk and you happen to see his kid with a baseball uniform. Perfect opportunity to talk about baseball. Now, once a person likes you, then they will buy anything you have to sell because you're trustworthy, you built trust, you built a relationship. So sales isn't really built upon the product. It's built upon the relationship of the buyer and the seller. And if you have a strong bond and strong relationship, it doesn't matter what you sell. Why? Maybe you're working for the widget company now, but two years later, you're working for a different company. All right. You're no longer selling widgets, but you still had that relationship with the buyer. So you can go with them to this new product and he still will listen to you. Whereas if you just sold widgets, it ends with the end of the widget.
0: I think that's such an important lesson for entrepreneurs, especially newer entrepreneurs when they're entering their genius into the marketplace or their product or whatever, I, you know, I help people create products out of their genius and enter it in the marketplace and, and people get offended if it doesn't mash right away, but sometimes it just doesn't. And you have to be able to be malleable and move with it and not be so stoic with it. I think that's an important thing to remember too, is that they're not buying a widget. They're buying the result and they're buying from you. Like they can go on the internet and find whatever they want.
1: Right. Right. They want to buy from you,
0: you have a relationship with them. They want to buy from you and support you.
1: And so- even when I was writing my books, I was looking at it saying, what does the reader want to do? And I read two mm-hmm. books a week and there are certain books that I love and other books I hate. And I started because I, I analyze everything. As you can tell, I analyze everything that's going on and determine whether or not I should do it one way or another. And and I was reading certain books and I'm like, these books make me want to read the next chapter. I don't want to close these books. I want to continue reading. All right. And why? And I started looking at it and it's because they set up the next chapter almost like a cliffhanger. It's like they just finished this chapter and you're dying to see what's going to happen because they set up a circumstance, what you're going to find out in the next chapter what happened. And my books have always driven readers. I've had readers that call me on the phone and say, I hate you. And I'm like, what did I do? And they said, I started reading your book at 11 o'clock at night. And to be perfectly frank, (laughs) I I, I didn't go to sleep till two o'clock in the morning. I hate you. And I said, why? And they said, because I couldn't put your book down. I said, well, I guess I should have warned you in the beginning, don't start at 11 o'clock at night. I apologize for that. But my job was clear. If if that book made you so excited and kept you reading till the end, then I guess I did a good job. So my books have always been written to to have people want to read the next chapter and the next chapter. And that's a style. And And I noticed that based upon books that i was reading what what turned me on so i started looking at audiences and saying what turned them on and that's why when i did the cosmo thing why is cosmo a golden retriever puppy because he's the most lovable puppy the love dog in the world number one or number two in the world if i'm going to pick a dog that's going to be in the movie shouldn't i pick the dog that's the most loved dog in the world okay And and shouldn't I like took a movie like E.T. and say, wow, this book had this movie was great. How can I incorporate what Steven Spielberg did into what I'm doing? So and the same thing with Walt Disney, I would look at these people and say, oh, my God, these people are geniuses. How can I take their genius and modify it and make it work for me? I don't have to build a better mouse, a new mousetrap. I can build maybe a better one, but you have to look at the old mousetrap to build the better one. And a lot of entrepreneurs don't realize that they don't have to start from the ground. They, They can start midway. They can look at something wonderful and say, how can I make this better? And instead, some of them say, no, no, I got to start from the ground floor. Well, it takes a long time to start from the ground floor.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Got to lean on others for sure. Well, more, there's been so many good pieces of advice that we have for entrepreneurs here. What would you say is the one one thing you would tell an entrepreneur, uh, want to be entrepreneur, about creating a business out of their passion so they can live a life of freedom and live that life that. Their genius is influencing others. What, what would be your piece of advice to them?
1: Well, you actually just said the word. You, if you are passionate, that's what people can see. When you have a passion and when you're talking from passion, people embrace you and they go, I love that. So you have to love what you're doing. If you, you know, there's an old saying, if you love what you're doing, you're not really working. But in reality, entrepreneurs love what they're doing. You have to have a passion. You have to be able to take that passion and make others understand it to a point that they want to be part of your team. And you have to allow people to fly. You have to show them, this is what I want to do. Can you help me? You have to be humble. And it's very hard when you're an entrepreneur because you think you know everything. But in reality, that's going to be your biggest problem. What you have to do is embrace people's help. You have to make them feel that they want to help you, that there's a purpose and a reason for helping you. And the more people you get on your team, the faster your project will move. So don't just think I'm going to change the world. Change that mindset to I'm going to help other people and we're going to change the world. And that's what I'm doing now. And I maybe didn't do that when I first started out, you know, but I've learned in my life that you have to bring people into your life and and you have to make them as passionate as you are.
0: Especially now that I love that point about like you're you're in the legacy stage, like you're creating a legacy and something to when you're done working, you want to have something to leave behind and you want to create an imprint, right? So that's that's where you're at. I think I think entrepreneurs need to be reminded of that too, is that that we've got to be reminded that we are creating a legacy. And when we go away or our business goes away. We want to create an imprint and we want to create that leverage, if you will, to be able to take that, to create more influence. So,
1: and here's the interesting thing that I'm doing. I'm, I want to get a set of people, younger people behind me so I can teach them what I'm doing so I can hand them the reins, set, set the goals, start it running I don't want to do this for 20 or 30 years, whether or not I'll even live 30 years more, I don't know. But I can do it for four years. And then I can hand those reins over to the younger generations and explain to them that their goal is to do their best that they can for four years. And then they have to hand it over. So this way, like what's happening with Disney that idea, that passion has just moved on to the younger generations because what we're doing with Cosmo may take 30 years, 30 years. Well, imagine the people standing behind me, all those young entrepreneurs that I can bring on and teach and train and have them learn what I've learned. And then they, their job is to keep it running and teach the people behind them. That truly will keep this alive. And I think that many entrepreneurs don't even think about that.
0: We should talk about that together.
1: <laughs> Maybe the next time or the next, Maybe the next time. No,
0: that, that's a fun idea to explore because that's, that's how your your genius has permanence, right?
1: Well, I want to keep this idea alive. Uh, yep. I, I, I look at Walt Disney and I say, this man... I, I believe he died in the 50s. I don't know the exact date, but this is 70 years later. And his ideas and his passion just keep on going 70 years later. And look at people like Steven Spielberg. All right. He was so young when he first got started. I think E.T. was his second or third movie. He didn't really he he knew about cameras and whatever but look at the genius of this man and and how many wonderful movies he made and how many people look up to him and made movies made from his movies, like what I did. I looked at his genius and said, how can I copy his genius? So that's really the key of what an entrepreneur should do. He should not only just look at the product or project project that he has, he should look at how he's going to impact the future, how he's going to interact with people and how he's got to surround himself with people that are like-minded and that may be the key of being a successful entrepreneur i'm learning more now than i ever learned in my life
0: that's the amazing part about being an entrepreneur that never stops so that's great well maury where can our audience find you if they want to find more out about your projects?
1: Well, they can go many places. They can go to LinkedIn and look under Maury David at LinkedIn. Uh, it'll show my profile and all the things that I'm doing. They can certainly go to Facebook under Maury David. They can go to M. David, uh, best-selling author. And in that area, Facebook will talk about my books. They can go to youtube and just plug in or google and just plug in maury david if they plug in youtube uh, and they plug in why some people can fly they'll see my latest podcast and some of the things in that podcast are things that we discussed here so you know and and they can also contact me if they wanted i i i'm the type of person that i'd love to teach i know you're a teacher and we all entrepreneurs you know you have to be a teacher also so if if especially if somebody is thinking about publishing a book there are many ways of publishing some ways are easier than other ways there's many ways today and i kind of guide people i've helped people become best-selling authors only by showing them different paths not that i'm so super smart but if you follow certain paths you can become a best-selling author uh, you know, so people can reach me at Mori M-O-R-R-Y-D-A-V, at yahoo.com. That would be my email address. I'll have my- be sure to include all that in the
0: show <laughs> notes, too, so they can find you. So.
1: But, you know, I'm happy to help anybody because, I, to me, I get a kick out of if I can help somebody and make their struggles less and make them happy you know, it's kind of like giving a gift during the holidays. Do you get a bigger charge out of getting a gift or giving a gift? And I'm at a point now where I get much more happiness out of giving a gift or helping a person, uh, you know, than, than, than them helping me. And and by the way, karma is really something. When you do help people, somehow it does bounce back to you, even though you're not expecting it and you don't necessarily do it for those reasons, It's very interesting what happens when you start helping people. So I say to everybody, do whatever you can, smile, help people. You never know how your day is going to go when you start in that realm.
0: Well, Maury, I thank you for coming on the podcast today. I look forward to sharing more stages with you in the future, whether it be a virtual stage or a real stage. Uh, and it's just been a lot of fun to get to know you. So thanks for coming today.
1: And thank you. You know, I, I know that you're very busy and to have me on your show is a real honor. So I do want to thank you. You know, especially I always like talking to beautiful women. I just don't know why, <laughs> you know, but you know, it, it's, it's not that I won't talk to beautiful men, <laughs> but, no. <laughs> but no, I, I, I appreciate you taking your time. I I know that there's many people that would love to come on your show, so I just want to thank you for allowing me to be on your show.
0: Of course, that's what I'm here for—to tell the stories of genius entrepreneurs. I help genius entrepreneurs enter their ideas into the marketplace, and it's good to have more examples of that that people can talk about. And for
1: people that don't know, today is your anniversary. So,
0: oh yes, happy anniversary! thank you august 4th if you are not listening on august 4th which you probably won't be but that's my and if if you, you
1: want to send her a gift she's looking for you can just say it now do you want a new ipad maybe you know a computer <laughs> you know just anything at all you know we can you can actually build a little registry and we can put it in right, the thing for people right. to send you gifts <laughs> i
0: just invite people to my our listeners to be a part of the conversation subscribe to the channel, be inspired by these genius entrepreneurs because the it, it's a limitless opportunity when you do decide to take that step, step past that fear and get into the marketplace. So
1: there you go. There you Thank
0: come. you everybody for listening and we'll see you next time with the other genius entrepreneur to inspire
1: you. <laughs> to you have everybody have a great day.
0: Thanks for listening to Culture, Communication, and Brand Moments with your host, Shelby Joe Long. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates, and we will see you on the next episode.